0: visit bank com banking for business to learn more what would you like the power to do bank of america n a copyright 2024 hello and welcome to the intelligence from the economist in new york i'm john fastman and in london i'm jason palmer Every weekday,
1: we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world.
0: Deep-fried dough can be many things. A donut eaten for breakfast. A sufganiyah eaten for Hanukkah. But in Kenya, it's mandazi. And it's also a lesson in the effects of rising food costs.
1: And one of the members of South Korea's pop band, BTS, is starting his stint in the Army. The group might have been able to get out of the country's compulsory service, but it was probably better PR just to get the buzz cut and get on with it. Worked for Elvis, right? First up, though. Another day, another news-making tweet about Twitter. I will resign as CEO as soon as I find someone foolish enough to take the job, wrote Elon Musk. After that, I'll just run the software and servers teams. Over the weekend, Mr. Musk had asked Twitter users to vote on whether he should step down as CEO, promising to abide by the result. Seventeen and a half million people had their say, and a majority of them thought he should go. It would appear he's sticking to his word. It's just another twist in a turbulent tale for the company's shareholders, its users, and its staff.
2: The atmosphere inside the company was really great. It was very much people helping each other, camaraderie, really ideal working environments.
1: Manu Cornet was, until recently, an engineer at Twitter.
2: Manu is short for Emmanuel, but that's what people usually call me.
1: Like a lot of his colleagues, he enjoyed working at the company. They liked what Twitter stood for.
2: I think Twitter was really trying to do a good job at not only being nice to its employees, but also trying to treat its users well, trying to keep the conversation on the platform nice, civil, and constructive.
1: So at the beginning of April, a few eyebrows were raised when a story broke.
0: We've got some breaking news for you. Uh, Twitter shares, they are surging right now up a little over 25%. This because Tesla CEO Elon Musk has now taken a passive stake in Twitter. That's according to a new SEC filing. The filing says his stake amounts to 9.2% of Twitter's common stock.
1: Elon Musk had bought a stake in the company.
2: As far as I'm concerned, those sort of activities are way above my pay grade of what happens in the high spheres of billionaires taking shares in companies. And that happens every day. It wasn't clear that anything more would happen than just another billionaire investing in the company. And that was also what the leadership was trying to get us to do. They said, you should just tune out the noise and keep working, which was not particularly easy. Tuning out
1: the noise was about to become almost impossible.
0: New this morning, the Tesla CEO Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter outright, take the company private. He is offering forty three point four billion dollars in cash, his own money, an offer that the Twitter says its board of directors will now quote carefully. Review head
1: on fast. It is the talk of the tape. Elon Musk's unsolicited takeover bid for Twitter—a bid littered with his 420 weed references. Got- for Manu and his colleagues, it was hard to keep up.
2: It, there's this general feeling of uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. You know there are going to be some big changes, but you don't really quite know which. In French, we have this expression, which is "you're waiting to know." with which sauce you're going to be eaten with. It's like you know something bad is going to be happening to you, you're going to be devoured by some ogre, but you don't know exactly how you'll be cooked or what the sauce will be that you'll be eating with.
1: But after months of uncertainty, at last, something shook out.
2: We've got the stock here halted right behind me at the New York Stock Exchange, pending news, pending. That news is apparently going to be that uh, Elon Musk will close the deal at the agreed-upon price of fifty four twenty.
1: On October twenty sixth, Elon Musk bought Twitter.
2: So immediately after taking over, he had some demands on changes that had to happen on the product itself, and those had to be made urgently or people would be fired. Manu says he tried to play along, but that it wasn't enough. It was really jarring in the way it happened. I didn't really think it would happen this way or so soon. They never really gave a reason. I was in a work meeting about one of those new high priority projects. And then I just was kicked out of the meeting, just lost access to all my stuff.
3: Elon Musk has completely changed Twitter over the course of 2022. Hal Hudson writes about technology for The Economist. At the beginning of the year was flirting with buying it. First he said he wanted to, then he said he didn't want to, and then he went to court and was kind of forced to, and then he did buy it. He then said he was going to completely rework the social media company to be sort of free speech absolutist and fired lots of people, It made various ultimatums along the lines of, you know, if you're not in it to win it, you have to be out by noon tomorrow, which resulted in lots of people leaving and now is kind of grappling with the reality of his control of this writhing snake of a platform that no one has ever really had a very good time being the boss of and it looks like Elon's not having a very good time either to be honest and so what effect has all of that chaos had on the the business of twitter well as yet none because we haven't really been through a quarter of musk really properly owning this thing so we haven't seen any real financial results but we do know that advertisers have been running away from the platform and while we don't have any financial statements out yet about how Twitter is doing, we do know that Elon loaded Twitter with debt in order to buy it, some $12 billion. The interest alone on that debt amounts to about a $1 billion a year. And Twitter lost $221 million in 2021. So it's a math problem without a solution as to how Twitter is going to survive in the coming quarters. And what about for users of Twitter, the, the effect of all this, besides the fact
1: that the entire Twitter discourse now seems to be only about Twitter?
3: Well, if you follow The Economist, you will notice that our blue tick has turned gold. That is about Elon trying to kind of rejig what it means to be verified on Twitter. And he wants it to be a kind of status symbol that you buy and you pay for, and it comes with a whole bunch of other services, like your replies go to the top of Elon Musk's feed when you reply to him and all kinds of juicy bonuses like this. He wants people to pay eight bucks a month. That hasn't really happened because... All of the proposals that he made for that, everybody hated so much that he U-turned. He's done a lot of U-turns. There's been a U-turn about the idea that you couldn't link to other social media accounts. Twitter is basically a place where people post links. That's what Twitter is. And Elon decided to try and make it so that you couldn't do that. And for a brief period was Twitter's official policy that you could not post links to other people's social media profiles, to other social media services. And he U-turned on that as well. Okay, so some big back and forth on
1: policy, some U-turns. What about the, this mission you mentioned, the self-described free
3: speech absolutist? How has that part gone? Well, initially, it was very welcomed from a lot of quarters, particularly from kind of Silicon Valley types who were happy to see Musk take the helm of Twitter with this new outlook. But it ran into trouble almost immediately. One of the first ones was him having to suspend Kanye West for posting a picture of a Star of David inside a swastika or or the other way around, which that's a horrible image to post on Twitter, but it's not illegal. So immediately, he broke his plan, which was to only take down illegal speech. That's what he said. He was only going to follow the law. That was it. He then got into this big problem. It was so back and forth. There's this account called Elon's Jets, which automatically posts where Elon's private jet is. Based on public data that comes out of a transponder in all airplanes that's there for safety reasons and it gets published for transparency reasons and someone hacked together an account to show where Elon's jet was. And then it's not yet clear whether as a direct consequence of the publication of the jet location information or coincidental to that, some stalker did track him down while he was out in California with his son and jump on the bonnet of his car. It's not totally clear, but it seems to have kind of tripped Elon into being very upset, as maybe you might imagine is reasonable. But he's gone and banned a bunch of journalists who were linking to the Elon Jets account. He's struggling to wrestle the beast of human speech into a box that makes any sense whatsoever.
1: But is there a clean answer? The, the, The social media world has been wrestling with this since the social media world came into
3: being. I don't think there is any clear answer. Human beings are far better at generating content than they are at writing down rules to police that content. I think it's pretty much an impossible task to write one set of rules and then sort of have them work forevermore. You're always going to have to change it. And this is particularly kind of poignant for Elon because he came into this very gung-ho that actually the set of rules needed to successfully have a place where people are talking is just the law of the land. That's it. And he has been proven wrong definitively. And it would seem, as
1: of now anyway, there's not much longer for him to to keep trying because of
3: this poll. He said he's stepping down, though staying on behind the scenes. What do you make of that? Vox Populi, Vox Dei. That has been how he's made decisions on Twitter in the past. There's two schools of thought. One is that he's looking for kind of cover to exit. And the reason for this is that Tesla's shares are tanking and he's getting pressure from investors in the board to say, what are you doing with this Twitter nonsense? And so by doing this poll, he's kind of giving himself an exit, which says, oh, the people have decided. Because actually, if you know Twitter, you know that the banter outcome was only ever, yes, leave. That's the only thing that was ever going to happen. And maybe he knows that too. Or there's a kind of more straight down the line thing, which is that Elon is so deluded that he thought no one would ever vote for him to not be running Twitter Who knows what the truth is? That truth is between Elon's cerebral cortex and his keyboard. What is for sure is that the Christmas entertainment is probably not over. I think there's probably more Elon drama to come. Thanks very much for joining us, Hal. Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., Copyright 2024.
4: Food price inflation is soaring across sub-Saharan Africa. In Kenya, where I was last month, the annualized rate is about 16%, the highest it's been, since records began.
0: John McDermott is The Economist's chief Africa correspondent.
4: And that's due to the cost of importing food going up, but it's also because the cost of growing it at home is rising as well.
0: So John, what have been the consequences of this rise in food prices?
4: Well, when people are spending more on food, they have less money to spend on everything else. And in Africa, about 40% of all consumer spending goes towards food. So it's been particularly crippling in this part of the world. But there's also been some subtler consequences as well. One of those I noticed when I was in a market in Kasumu, Western Kenya last month.
0: Tell us more about that.
4: Listeners may have heard of something called shrinkflation. That's when the price of something stays the same, but the amount sold is smaller than what used to be the case. I think most people might be familiar with crisp packets becoming suspiciously capacious or chocolate bars becoming smaller, but it's also happening in Africa or at least this market in Western Kenya. At this market, I met a young man called Walter Otenio and he sells something which are called mandazi. Can I have one of your mandazi? Otherwise known as African donuts. I think you'd love them, John. They're essentially fried dough, like fried up balls of flour. And they're cheap, roughly 10 Kenyan shillings or about 8 US cents each for your traditional African donut, But what's been happening, says Mr. Oterio, is that as the prices of his inputs have gone up, so basically like higher prices for oil, higher prices for flour, he's had to reduce the size of his beloved mandazi.
3: He makes different sizes. The ones he sells for 10 shillings and the ones he sells for five shillings. So for him to break even, sometimes, He's supposed to mix them up.
4: Because of the increase in the cost of his inputs, more expensive flour, more expensive oil, he's had to sneak in smaller balls to his consumers who think they're getting your usual 10 shilling big mandazi, but instead are just getting a smaller one that he previously sold for only five shillings. This is shrinkflation consumer style, shrinkflation Africa style.
0: And is this happening all over Africa?
4: Africa is a big place, but there are plenty of examples. Here in South Africa, when I buy my biltong, deliciously salty, dried meat, it doesn't seem to be as thick as it once was. And in Uganda, the wonderful snack called a Rolex, which is a vegetable omelette inside a chapati, has become suspiciously small as well. So across Africa, at least when it comes to these snack foods, these fast foods that rely on flour, oil, all these inputs that are going up in price, they definitely seem to be shrinking. And how are consumers responding? In the case of the donut shoppers in Kusumbu, some have noticed and some haven't. But there's an important bit of context here, which is that in Africa, the decision to shrink products, be they delicious snacks or something else, has a long history. Take the Nigerian sachet economy. Nigeria, one of the continent's largest economies, has been struggling for some time. And what firms have realized is that in order to keep their margins high, they have to appeal to consumers who are cash poor, can't get credit, and don't have a lot of room to store stuff in their houses. So they've been flogging them smaller and smaller portions of things like shampoo and washing powder. And as the economy has stagnated even further, they found even more products to shrink. So today, Nigerians can buy smally Domino's pictures in a tiny box, and if you wish to do so, wash it down with a sachet of Baileys, that creamy booze.
0: How far do you think this will go, John? Is there a limit to how much you can shrink things and how many things you can shrink? Of course,
4: and While there are entertaining aspects about diminishing African donuts or sachets of suspicious Irish booze, there's a serious issue here, which is that more and more Africans are feeling the pinch from inflation and more and more are food insecure. And I think while the rest of the world is definitely struggling as well with a cost of living crisis, as ever, it's much more acute on the continent because consumers have far less wiggle room.
0: All right, John, thanks very much for joining us
4: today. Thanks, John.
1: Kim Sook Jin is in the lucrative prime of his career. He's a member of BTS, the world's biggest boy band, the world's biggest pop band, maybe just the world's biggest band. At age 30, he's already been nominated for several Grammys. He's addressed the United Nations. He's met President Joe Biden. Yet recently, Mr. Kim, or Jin, as he's called by his group's millions of fans, has a new, albeit temporary, job. One that's a bit less glamorous and comes with no screaming fans.
5: So, on December 13th, despite his incredible global stardom, Mr. Kim began the same dull rite of passage that most South Korean men undertake. He became the first member of BTS to begin his military service.
1: Andrew Knox is The Economist's Korea's correspondent.
5: Absent extenuating circumstances, all South Korean men must serve at least 18 months before they turn 28.
1: But this guy is part of the biggest pop band in the world. Isn't that an extenuating circumstance?
5: Well, some might well agree with you there, especially his fan base called ARMY, ironically. His megastardom is the kind of thing that has in the past affected decisions about recruitment. In fact, the South Korean parliament passed a law in 2020 to allow those that excel in pop culture and art to postpone their service, and they specifically had BTS in mind. BTS could have probably found some sort of way around service, and in fact the government had even been mulling the possibility of creating an exception for BTS, as indeed there are exceptions for top athletes and certain prize-winning classical musicians. So, for example, if you win gold at the Olympics or in the Asian Games, people in that situation are allowed to skip out on most of military service and only really do basic training. So sun Hyo Min, who plays for Tottenham Hotspurs, North London's second best team, was able to only do a few weeks of training with the Marines. There was also a talk of BTS perhaps being allowed to carry on making music as a way of serving the country. And there's sort of a precedent for that kind of thing. Korean men who are proficient in STEM subjects and science and mathematics are permitted to continue studying at government-approved research departments or companies.
1: So with so many possible outs here, why do you think BTS didn't take any of them?
5: So Mr. Kim and his fellow bandmates appear to have concluded that not reporting for duty would be more damaging to their reputation than military service would be dull. And credit to them. They've always said from day one that they'd be willing to serve. The debate has really not come directly from them. It's not entirely dissimilar to the case of Elvis Presley way back in 1958, who decided that he'd enlist in the U.S. Army for a couple of years instead of draft dodging and risking a PR disaster.
4: Elvis Presley no longer has that rock and roll beat. The tempo
5: is hup, two, three, four for private Presley. He's at Camp Chaffee, Arkansas, beginning his two-year army hitch, courtesy of the Memphis Draft Board. In BTS's case, some have even argued that BTS are such a boon to South Korea just by being pop stars that what they could offer the country in the ordinary run of things far exceeds anything they could give by spending 18 months freezing on the DMZ. But at the same time, the idea of fairness, the thought that they should have to do the exact same service to the country that any other young man of their age would have to do, really looms large. Skipping it could upset a great number of young men and other people in the country, especially maybe those who have served.
1: But in terms of mandatory military service, it is sort of falling out of fashion in a lot of places. I'm gathering not so in South Korea.
5: Indeed. And in fact, like many of the places where there still is mandatory service, it's because there's still a looming threat. In the case of South Korea, that's their neighbor to the north, which is still intent of reunifying the entire peninsula by force. So a large standing army is how they defend themselves against that possibility. And even just recently, North Korea has been extremely loud. They've launched an incredible number of missiles, including just a few weeks ago, the largest missile they've ever tested. And aside from, you know, providing the training necessary to repel a possible attack and to have an adequately trained reservist force, service is an act of commitment and loyalty to the country.
1: But you keep referring to it as
5: dull. Yeah, well, to be honest, most of the people who have done it seem to report that they had a somewhat boring time doing it. Even at the demilitarized zone, the DMZ, that separates North and South Korea, fighting is really rare. I mean, it's rare that people are put in mortal peril, and in fact, suicide is by far the largest cause of death among conscripts. And they don't necessarily spend that much time preparing for combat, depending on what they've been assigned to. One person we spoke to who was actually stationed at Yongchan, which is where Mr. Kim's actually going to be sent, at least for basic training. This individual recalled that more than anything, snow was his enemy. He said that he was sent out onto the line to shovel snow, and he'd turn his back, and there'd be more snow that he'd then have to shovel some more. It all sounded rather Sisyphean.
1: So it sounds a bit as if this military service is just passing the time and ticking the box.
5: Well, indeed, at least for some. And that kind of wasted time represents a huge opportunity cost. In Mr. Kim's case, you know, he could be out there touring the world, producing more hit songs, but he's obviously not the norm. For ordinary South Korean men, it's actually a bit more grave in the sense that they have come up through an education system that's extremely competitive. A large number of school leavers go to university, and the graduate job market is incredibly tough. And service is often done midway through their time at university or early in their careers. So taking all that time out can be enormously damaging to their prospects in a really competitive job market. And in fact, this also feeds into a grievance that really deeply affects South Korean politics. A number of young men are deeply upset about the fact that they're forced to sacrifice this portion of their life, while women are not, in fact, forced to serve. And there are politicians who are more than willing to stoke this sense of grievance. In fact, the current president, Yoon So-kyul, was not above appealing to this constituency when he was running for office earlier this year.
1: But having outlined all of the negatives, there must be some positives. You get that esprit de corps. You get that sense of loyalty. There's got to be an upside here.
5: Absolutely. And both of the things you mentioned are real upsides. About half of Korean men in their 20s believe the military service is beneficial to them, and one of the things they really point to is that it prepares them for life in an organization. Another service member that we spoke to, whose main responsibility was essentially guard duty, said that he was proud of the small contribution that he made, although he also suggested that conscripts could be given a bit more of a sense of meaning and a common goal. With any luck, Mr. Kim will find some of that during his time in the armed forces. And, you know, even if he doesn't, he's almost certainly still going to be one of the world's biggest pop stars afterwards. Back in the late 50s, when Elvis served, he was asked whether he thought that going to the army would kill his career. His reply was, that's a $64 question. I wish I knew. I mean, if he's any guide, I reckon Mr. Kim and the other members of BTS will be okay. Like any ex-civilian raw recruit, the king of rock and roll will be keeping time to non-hip bugle calls.
1: Thanks very much for joining us, Andrew. Thanks
5: as always for having me. Left his blue jean fans all shook up, so we hear. but Elvis doesn't seem to mind at all.
0: That's all for this episode of the Intelligence. Let us know what you think of the show. You can get in touch at podcasts at economist.
1: And you can subscribe to The Economist at economist.com slash intelligence offer. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you back here tomorrow.